This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. At the Turn is brought to you by Vice Golf. Vice is a German company that makes premium quality golf balls for half the premium price. The Pro and Pro Plus were awarded a gold medal on Golf Digest's annual hot list, making Vice the only small company to win the magazine's highest award. Use the promo code TURN when you check out at vicegolf.com to get free shipping. That's promo code TURN. Golf balls shouldn't cost more than the round of drinks afterwards. What's your vice? This is At The Turn. It's time for discussion and interviews about the world of golf you won't hear anywhere else. Here are your hosts, Nick Heidelberger and Joe Simons. Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of At The Turn. I am Joe. Nick is joining me. Nicholas, how are you today? I am great, Joe. I can't wait for this episode of At The Turn. We have a lot to get into today. Yeah, we've been very Tiger and Phil-centric lately, but uh, we have no choice but to continue that theme today. Uh, obviously, the biggest, <laughs> the biggest recent golf news uh, is Tiger, Tiger and Phil, and their scheduled made-for-TV event. Um, we'll get to that in just a few minutes. We're also going to talk about the uh, the Open Championship being contested at Carnoustie this year. We're going to give our early picks and uh, kind of a fun and random. Would you rather coming up? Um, would you rather belong to a country club free of charge? or play Augusta once every five years on your own dime. We'll also touch on at-the-turn favorite Bryson DeChambeau. He's back in the news. He's always making some sort of controversy. But, Nicholas, we'd be remiss if we did not start with Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson playing a $10 million winner-take-all match. What are you, what, what were your initial thoughts when you saw this? Joe, when I tweeted this out, I almost ran out of characters tweeting out 10 10- Comma zero 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 comma zero 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 point zero zero for the match. This is insane. Um, I think Tiger made the comment at the Masters that he'd play Phil for however whatever amount makes him uncomfortable, and apparently it takes ten million dollars to <laughs> get him out of his comfort zone. Makes me uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> God, I my my first thought is I just cannot wait to turn this out of my living room, and I hope the match lasts like six hours because. <laughs> This is going to be so much fun to watch. Like, I can't imagine a more fun live golf event to watch. So a quick quote from Phil. Uh, he was asked about this. He's Phil's been talking more about this leading up to the announcement that it's actually probably going to take place that happened this week. We're recording on Saturday. Uh, and this is what Phil said, a quote. You will hear a lot of the comments you don't hear on regular TV. We both like to smack talk. We both like to have fun with what we're doing and the fact that this is not an official tournament. That is just a head-to-head match. You'll hear some of the little nuances, some of the little things that you don't normally pick up. And that's why I'm tuning in, Nick. I want to see – I mean, you're not going to get authentic Phil and authentic Tiger that you'd see when there's no cameras. But I think it's going to be something closer to what they're normally like as opposed to seeing them grinding it out at the U.S. Open and the Masters. Right. And and, uh, what Phil's referring to, which we didn't mention, is – they've both agreed to be mic'd up for this match. Mm. Did you? So I don't know if you caught that part or just so, the, so our listeners out That's there great. know. 
So we can literally, they're going to be mic'd up. We're sitting at home watching Phil talk to Tiger during a round of golf. Oh, by the way, there's $10 million on the line. Yeah. And it's going to be a winner take all. It's an 18 Joe, hole. I, I hope they both show up to the golf course with a briefcase full of $10 million in one. <laughs> no, seriously. Um, so we'll, we'll get to that in a second, but, okay. uh, one thing I want to touch on before we get to this match itself in more detail, exhibition, exhibition matches have been a big part of golf throughout history, right? You had this ha- happen back in the fifties and sixties with, you know, Sam Snead and Ben Hogan. And then when Nicholas Palmer and player were in their heyday in the sixties, they did a lot of made for TV golf events. And then you have, Shell's Wonderful World of Golf, which was a made-for-TV program. It was a one-on-one match. Occasionally, they'd get a third player in there. And they would play for a set purse. They would play at courses around the world. This stopped, I think, in the in the late 90s because Phil was in a lot of these matches. John Daly played in a lot of these matches. You know, Tom Watson, Jack Nicholas, Gary Player. All the big names did a lot of these exhibition made-for-TV events. And I'm surprised we don't have more of these given the way the culture has shifted to having these sort of spectacles and these, you know, appointment viewing and especially trying to bring back the popularity of golf with Tiger just getting back into it and not being a major storyline the last five years, you would just think there would be more of these. And one more thing, Nick, when Tiger was in his heyday, 2000, 2001, he did these. There was a made-for-TV match with David Duvall. When David Duvall was in his prime, he overtook Tiger at one point early in Tiger's career for number one in the world. They had a made-for-TV match event. Uh, Tiger and Sergio, when Sergio was very young, they also had a made-for-TV event. So there is a precedent for this. I'm just surprised we haven't seen more of these in recent history. I think the the a lot of, a lot of these matches, the guys you mentioned, I think a lot of them were doing them towards the twilight of their careers. And I think that's the big thing because, I mean, Tiger's done a couple of them early in his career, it sounds like, which was news to me. At that time, I wasn't really following golf. But um, so then Tiger, for the last 15 years, Tiger's been in the prime of his career. There probably hasn't really been a market for these extracurriculars because everybody just wanted to see Tiger. And now that Tiger and Phil are in that stage where they've, they're still playing really good golf, but they're also, you know, towards the end of their careers, now I think it makes a little bit more sense. Because uh, like I said, I mean, in, in 2005, you're just going to watch Tiger beat everybody in the world rather than watch him play one person and beat him. But wouldn't you, as exciting as Tiger and Phil is, and I think it's, I don't don't think it is, it is the most compelling matchup that you can get. If I was to say, hey, Nick, in November, Dustin Johnson and Jordan Spieth are going to play a $10 million winner-take-all match over Thanksgiving weekend. It's going to broadcast on Black Friday. You, You would tune in for that, wouldn't you? I would, for sure. Um... But, like, if I missed it, I probably wouldn't cry about it. But if I miss Tiger and Phil, like, if it comes on a day I have to work or something, uh, I, I definitely am going to cry about it. <laughs> I so, think that's the difference. You know what I mean? Like It is. Yeah. I'll see DJ and Jordan Spieth in the final round of a major probably three more times in the next, you know, five years. So there's gonna they're going to play for everything, you know, already. We don't need to put them together. But Tiger and Phil aren't going to be playing for everything just naturally on tour probably ever again. Well, that kind of brings us to the question of the stakes of the event. And I think sometimes why exhibition events are not as compelling as even a regular tour event is because the stakes don't matter to the audience, right? $10 million, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money for Tiger or Phil, but is it enough to make people want to tune in? Like if this was $1 million or $10 million, does it actually make a difference to you? Oh yeah, for sure. If it's a million, I'm I'm not as interested. I mean, I think still think it's cool for watching the golf, but like if it's ten million and somebody's got a putt on the last hole, you're like, okay, this he misses this putt, he'll lose ten million dollars. Um, and the thing is, like, if you if you lose in a tournament because of like whatever and they say oh that putt cost him whatever a million dollars because he you know fell to fourth instead of first or whatever it is it's not coming out of your bank account it's just money that would have gone into your bank account as you and i can attest to from our recent tournament we didn't (laughs) lose 
money. We just didn't win money we very easily could have. <laughs> but the difference here is somebody's going to walk away $10 million poorer than they showed up. So, wait a minute. These guys aren't putting up their own money, are they? Don't you think they are? No. I think they're putting up their own, yeah. No, I definitely do not think that Phil Mickelson is showing up with $5 million and Tiger Woods is showing up with $5 million. No, I think he's showing a- up with ten. And somebody wins the other person's ten million. That's what I. That's the impression what? I got. What is that? What's yes. happening? No, they're betting ten million dollars on this match. There's no. <laughs> I could be wrong. I would be shocked if that they are actually putting up ten million of their own money. There's going to be some sort of spawn. I mean, first of all, this event's going to make a lot of money for whatever network picks it up. Right. I, I presume yeah, it's going to be on NBC. Golf channels just being like, oh yeah, I'll give you $10 million so we can host this match. Yeah. $10 of, million? Of course, Nick. They're going to make so much we money gotta get, from this. We got to get to the bottom of this. We do. If this is, look, if this happens in the dog days of summer in August, there's going to be no sports going on whatsoever. They're going to have Tiger versus Phil. They'll probably put it in prime time, they'll have it on the West Coast. That way they can air it at 8 o'clock on the East Coast. Advertising revenue is going to be through the roof. This will be such a win for NBC if they put up $10 million, Tiger or Phil wins it. I, The reason I, I'm, I'm surprised to hear you say that because I think it is far more compelling if they are actually putting up their own money for this event. I, I, I just don't think that that's – I haven't seen that written anywhere. I, I've read – there hasn't been a lot about this. There's been just a few articles – but I haven't seen anything that has said Tiger and Phil are actually putting up their own money. And by the time you're listening to this, perhaps it'll all be squared out. My take is I think that's a much better event if they're putting up their own money. I would just be very surprised if that is actually how it comes together. We'll get to the bottom of it. And, and the reason I interpret it that way is is because of Tiger's comment at the Masters where he said, you know, Phil was – because they already this was already in the, work, in the works back then. We just didn't know it. But Phil was saying something like, oh, I'll play Tiger for any for any amount, any time, wherever. And Tiger said, all right, let's play for whatever. Let's play for whatever makes him uncomfortable, which to me says we're going to bet because they have a practice round in the Masters or whatever. So like they always bet on their practice rounds. So Tiger said, well, I'll play him for whatever makes him uncomfortable. So that that to me says that Phil is risking $10 million going into this match that's i mean i could be misinterpreting it but that's that's the way i took it god i hope you're right because i think that would be be that is that is the best version of i mean if if tiger and phil show up and there's actually 10 million dollars in a briefcase and it's just sitting on the 18th green i mean i'm getting pretty excited about that i i I hope that is what happens so 10 million dollars a lot of money but for some perspective i did some uh real quick googling to figure out the approximate net worth of tiger and phil Tiger is sitting at a cool $740 million post-divorce. Phil, $400 million. So $10 million, a lot of money, uh, even to them. But still, keep it a little bit in perspective. Um, these guys are combined worth over a billion dollars. So uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily know that it's the same as like an average tour player playing for $10 million. Even so, uh, if they put up their own money, Nick, that's going to be incredible. Uh, the last thing that I want to talk about on this is... The venue. Where do you want Tiger and Phil to play? I have a couple ideas. Do you have any uh, any suggestions? If, if 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 Tiger or Phil's agent is listening right now, I mean, if we're just if we're just gonna put it all out there, I mean, it would be awesome to see him play Augusta. I mean, they both <laughs> won there. Like, wouldn't that be? I mean, sure, that's incredible. That's that's the obvious answer, but Augusta would never. Like, if there was a list of least likely courses, I think the University (laughs) of Idaho golf course would be one notch ahead of Augusta (laughs) National. Really, right, right. So the courses, the the two that I want them to play the most, very well known courses, which I think is important because if the viewing audience sees a course, like I've seen a lot of people suggest. Um, Pine Valley, which is a very famous golf course, not on TV. Folks know these two courses very well. They know Pebble Beach very well, and they know mm-hmm. Torrey Pines very well. And those are also courses that Tiger and Phil have had a lot of success on in their careers. Tiger has won the U.S. Open at Pebble and Torrey Pines. I think he has over 10 wins combined at both of those courses. Phil has won a few times at Torrey. He's won a few times at Pebble. So you're getting a couple of Southern California kids in Southern California, well, I guess Monterey is a little bit farther north, but still, two courses they know very, very well, they've had success on. And I think if you take a course 
where one of them doesn't have a much better record than the other, then you're really leveling out the stakes. Like, if you were to pick a course in Arizona, I think that gives Phil a decided advantage because that's where he went to school. He's won a lot in the desert. If you put Tiger in Ohio, he's won a million times over there at Jack's Tournament and at Bridgestone, which we're going to talk about in a second. I think that Southern California, either Pebble or Torrey, makes the most sense because the viewers know it and the players know it. That's a good point. And so in one of the articles that came out recently, um, it said they were like in negotiations for a July 3rd match that fell through because it was kind of it was too last minute. And that one they were talking about, of course, in Las Vegas, which would make sense if it was their own money because of the wagering issue. Um, so I don't know. Interesting. I, don't, I don't know which course it was in Vegas. I, I didn't recognize the name. Uh, clearly, I haven't played there. But anyways, that was one of the discussions. But don't you think from a a, a viewer standpoint, Nick, it it helps that the oh, yeah. that if if the fans know the course because people know oh, yeah. Pebble has a lot of famous holes you know the very short par three in the ocean eighteen where you have to drive it along the ocean uh, you know Tor- Tory Pines has that par five to finish and a, a couple holes along the ocean as well I would agree it's got to be one that's a that's a major venue like something that hosts a U.S. Uh, U.S. Open or PGA Championship for sure. Well, I think either way, if it's their own money or NBC's money or who knows. If it's NBC's money, I just hope they tell us it's their own money anyways. It's just so much more <laughs> exciting. It really is. The fact that one of them would take money off the off of the other one would make it yeah. um, very, very compelling. But either way, it's going to be very fun, and it looks like it's going to happen. There's been no official announcement or anything like that, but it's been reported by, uh, I think, Alan Shipnuck of the Golf.com, who's a pretty reputable source. So um, that should be a lot of fun. Nick, uh, real quick before we get to the break and our – British Open preview. You wanted to talk about uh, Tiger a little more? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so moving over, shifting to Tiger talk now. <laughs> um, <laughs> he he uh, came out a couple months ago, Joe, and said his goal was to qualify for the WGC Bridgestone, which is in Ohio again for the last year this year. And that's one of those tournaments that he's not, he can't just show up and, and say, I want to play or get a sponsor exemption. He has to qualify and the two ways he can qualify, which I think one will take care of the other. Um, he either needs a victory and there's only playing one more tournament this year or to reach the top 50 in the world by either July 23rd or July 30th. He currently sits at number 67 in the world. The only tournament he's playing in between now and either of those cutoffs is the British open. So oh boy, he basically needs to win the British open to qualify for Bridgestone. What do you make of that? Well, I think if Tiger Woods wins the British Open, uh, Bridgestone isn't really going to be the... uh... (laughs) Tiger Woods wins the British (laughs) Open to qualify for Bridgestone. (laughs) (laughs) No, but but I hear what you're saying. Um, This is the tournament that Tiger Woods has arguably had the most success at, I believe, off the top of my head. He's won it eight times before. Um, And, you know, Tiger's dominated the World Golf Championships. Like, if you look at any of the stats... It's like, and this still may be true, but there was a number for a while where if you took Tiger's wins and literally every other win in the World Golf Championships, Tiger had like three times as many. Um, he's he's just dominated all these events uh, with, with, with this one being the number one of those. I think it'd be fun if he was to play in it because obviously the venue plays a big factor in him being so dominant. Um, but if he misses out, I, I, I also don't think it will... It's a good goal, but I don't think it's going to derail the, you know, quote-unquote comeback. Um, Tiger has had good finishes. He had a good finish at uh, his own tournament, the AT&T National, uh, another, another top 10. What, what, what did he finish there, Nick? Fourth or fifth? He tied for fourth last week, yeah. T- tied for fourth at the National. So, look, Tiger Woods has had a handful of top 10s now. He's also had, you know, a few missed cuts. So, he's had a pretty good season as a PGA Tour player. Is he going to break out and win? Who knows? Uh, if he has a good showing at the British, I wonder if he actually has to win the British Open to get in the top yeah, 50. That's what I want to know. Like, if he finishes tied for second or third, like, will he get into the top 50? I, who knows? It'll um, probably get him close. I mean, the formula is so dumb. Like, I saw a tweet about the official World Golf rankings that Francesco Molinari beat that stacked field that we were just talking about, the AT&T National. He wins that tournament by seven strokes, just kills people. And then another player, Russell Knox, who had a very similar world ranking. Molinari only went up one spot 
Knox hadn't made a cut in like several weeks, and he only went down one spot. So, you know, the world rankings, it's an inexact science. That's why we have no idea if a top two or three is actually going to get him in the top 50. Yeah. I will be interested to see if if he gets close, like maybe like between 51 and 55 with a good finish at the Open, if he adds an event at the end of July to try to sneak in there. He might because that is – I mean, he has gone out on record saying, this is my goal. This is what I want to do. So, you know. I mean, it sounds it, it sounds dumb to say, but Tiger, maybe more than any other golfer in history, is a horse for a course. Tiger dominates certain events. I think like half of his tour wins are probably comprised of five or six events. Like he's won Bay Hill seven or eight times. He's won Bridgestone seven or eight times. He's done the same at Torrey Pines. And he just loads up on these events that he just he just knows the courses very well. And this is one of them. And like you said, since it's moving next year, it'll be his last opportunity to uh, have a crack at, uh, at, at Firestone Country Club. Um, Nick, you said you wanted uh, to touch quickly on Phil returning to competition after the U.S. Open debacle. It, it, it's funny. It's been, what, three weeks now since the U.S. Open? Um, do people care anymore? I've kind of forgotten about this. Oh. I don't know. I still care. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I first, I mean, I see highlights of Phil Mickelson on the green putting and it's all I can think about. Really? <laughs> yeah. Whenever I play golf and someone rolls a putt past the hole, I'm like, Oh, better go chase after it. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, we did that at our golf tournament a few weeks ago, our, our, our annual golf tournament out in the Palouse. But, uh, you know, we were a little yeah. lubricated. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 I think it's I, I still care. I mean, I can't speak for anybody else. Sure. It's, for me, it's kind of tarnished my, you know, at least, you know, three weeks later, you know, my my feeling and what the, what comes to the top of my head when I think about Phil, for sure. I guess my thing is, now that we have this exciting news of Tiger and Phil in their match, um, I've not seen any sort of, like, footnote at the end or, like, last sentence where they could get in a quick jab about Phil and, you know, be interesting <laughs> to see how the fans react following his behavior at Shinnecock and, you know, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> I just think that the news cycle moves so quickly now that – and it'll it'll come up at the U.S. Open next year because that's the venue that Phil did it, right? That's the right, tournament right. where this happened. I just, I just don't think that it is going to be a part of his narrative um, going forward. I could be wrong. I just – I hope I, not, but – It'll always be a it'll always be a highlight reel blooper, you know. You it will be a blooper for the next fifteen years, probably. <laughs> Along with Phil uh, hitting fans in the head with his errant tee shots and then signing a golf glove, it'll be him acting silly <laughs> on the thirteenth green at Shinnecock. Yeah. I'll uh, never forget where I was, Joe. I was at Niagara Falls with my <laughs> wife, and we were walking around all day. And we we checked back in the hotel just to like change our clothes, take a shower, and get some lunch. And uh, she like sits, goes on her phone, pulls up Twitter, and she's like. Oh my God! What did Phil Mickelson do? And I'm like, I don't know. What are you talking about? And I like scurried to find it and was like, Oh my God! This is the U.S. Open. This is Phil's behavior. Yeah, and I guess this is the first time we've talked about it on a pod since it happened. But I I, I played golf early that morning, and I just remember going on Twitter as well and seeing this weird video from the U.S. Open. I thought it was like uh, fake at first. I thought someone had doctored a video. And they, like, took a clip of Phil jogging, like, in the parking lot or something, and they stuck it on a green. And then I figured out after I watched it, like, the second and third time, like, no, Phil actually did this in the U.S. Open. I mean, <laughs> to me, to me, it's embarrassing, um, but I don't think of him differently because of it. I do, the, the, the one thing that bothered me about it was his conversation afterwards. Like, instead of immediately saying, look— I got really frustrated. This is a really hard golf course. The day got the better of me, and I made a stupid mistake. He claimed that he was taking advantage of the rules, which is just complete garbage. There is no way that Phil Mickelson consciously thought, oh, I'm going to run over there and take a two-stroke penalty. Like, perhaps he knew that rule, but I don't think he was planning to use that as part of his U.S. Open victory, you know? Yeah, I I know Bones isn't his caddy anymore, but it's not like – him and Bones had a had a conversation before he hit the putt, and like, okay, <laughs> hit it firm, and, and then get your horse, get on your horse, and yeah. chase after. It. In case you blow it twenty feet by, why don't you hit it when it's a couple feet by the hole? Although I've heard people make this point, and if you haven't seen the clip, this is totally out of context. But if you have, when Phil runs by the hole and he like hits it in motion, 
The ball actually hits the back of the cup. I posture that if the ball goes in the hole, we never get an apology from Phil Mickelson. This is not as big of a controversy, and there's probably a rule change as a result of it. Because Phil would have circumvented the rules. He probably would have actually reduced his score on the hole by a stroke or two by, you know, having it go four feet by the hole, hitting it as it's in motion, putting it in the cup as opposed to letting it run 30 feet by or even off the green. That's a, good, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. I had not thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, something that folks might not be thinking about because it's still a few weeks away is the British Open. But uh, we're going to do a way too early preview coming up right after this on At The Turn. If you like listening to everything about Tiger and Phil and a few other things from the world of golf and why wouldn't you, and you're enjoying this episode of At The Turn, please subscribe on iTunes. Go ahead and throw us a five-star rating. We'd really appreciate that. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow at At The Turn Pod and on Facebook at The Turn. All right, Nick, the third major of the year is rapidly approaching. The British Open will be taking place at Carnoustie. So I want to run off the last five champions um, from Carnoustie in the British Open. Ben Hogan, Gary Player, Tom Watson, Paul Laurie, and Patrick Harrington. So four of those guys have won a lot of majors. Harrington actually has won three majors in his career. Yeah. Um, he beat Sergio in a playoff. That was the most recent time it occurred in 2007. Paul Laurie, um, that was when the course was an absolute joke. Plus six got you in a playoff. That was the famous Jean Vandeveld making a triple bogey on the 72nd hole to get in that playoff, eventually losing to Laurie. That's the famous shot of the guy who's up to his ankles in water, um, just looking very confused as to how he's not holding the claret jug. <laughs> Maybe the most famous meltdown in uh, in golf history. Um, so, Nick, I love the British Open. We've had a couple of really good ones the last two years. Of course, mm-hmm. Jordan Spieth, the pending, defending champ, Stenson and Phil in that epic duel in 2016. Um, so what are, your, what are your early thoughts on the uh, British Open coming up? Uh, I just love this time of year because it's major season. Like if we're just coming off the U.S. Open high and the British Open is right here uh, or as they call it, the Open Championship. Um, so first and foremost, I'm just excited. Uh, I'm excited that <laughs> it's been a while since we mentioned his name. Tiger's back in the mix. Yeah! <laughs> you know, he, could be, he could be in the mix uh, at a major. I mean, that's always exciting. Uh, like you said, the last two have been – I've. I watched the last two like every minute I possibly could, and they were so dramatic and just everything you could hope for. So I'm just excited. It's it's right around the corner. And I just love having breakfast and watching the British Open. Like, inevitably what happens is I wake up a little bit early. I, I catch the start of the leaders' rounds, and I'm like, okay – I'm gonna go. I'm, I'm gonna go for a jog. I'm gonna catch the back nine, and eventually, what ends up happening is I don't move from the couch and have about seven cups of coffee during the course of the British Open, and I'm so wired and geeked from it, I don't really know what to do with all of that energy. But it's just so much fun to uh, experience the British Open. It's a different kind of golf. Um, now, Shinnecock, where the U.S. Open was, is similar to a link-style course, but the reason I enjoy the British Open is you get Really good golf. It's a different kind of golf. And occasionally you get some random stuff that happens. And I, I, I think you throw in all those elements, and it's always a, always a really fun tournament. And it's the oldest major. Yeah. Uh, the last couple, for me, I was living in Hawaii. So, I don't know, maybe it's like oh, that's early. 12. It was, I, I remember I set my alarm and it was for, like, for Phil's final round and uh, two years ago. And I think it was for like... I don't know, 3.45 a.m. No, when, he, uh, when he teed off and I just rolled out of bed, rolled from from one from the bed to the couch, turned it on and had my bunny ears situated and just you know tuned in for the show. And it was awesome. So, Nicholas, um, I'm going to do a little bragging here for the oh, both of okay. us. OK, there's been there, there's there's been mm-hmm. two majors so far. Mm-hmm. OK, mm-hmm. and you're at the turn co-hosts have given you the winners of the Masters. And the U.S. Open. So we're going to give our dark horse contender and winner. And I think without hey, question. Just, just to uh, yes. add on to that. Please. Our content, we, we've, 
had pretty much like all of the contenders. Because even when, you know, we had the winners, we have a dark horse contender and a winner. We had like the, the people in the final pairings were people we also picked as well. Look, I think people just need to take these picks, go to your local betting parlor, the internet, and find just Phil Mickelson. <laughs> find, find, find Phil Mickelson, give him your money, and tell him these names. So, do you want to alternate? Do you want to start with your dark horse, and I'll give you mine, and we'll and we'll go for it. Yeah, let's do it, Joe. Yeah. Uh, my dark horse kind of recycled from the U.S. Open because he wasn't in the field. He was going to be ah, my dark tough horse. break. And since then, I, I confirmed he is in the field this week, <laughs> or, or for the for the British Open. Uh, Joaquin Neiman, Joe, mm. exemption twenty six, the men's world amateur golf ranking for 2017 got him in god this kid's on a tear um i he was my dark horse for the u.s open although he wasn't in the field but <laughs> uh, for a good reason then and now he just opened the green bar with a 63 on thursday um two rounds in the 60s and he's probably uh playing some really good golf right now as we speak but uh this kid joe he's gonna have a major sooner or later and uh, he's my dark horse how old is he He's a rookie. 19? He's 19. Yeah, it's a very short list. The Chilean 19-year-old, Joaquin Neiman. Okay, I like it. That's fun. Um, Well, my dark horse is not 19. (laughs) 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 This is, I don't want to call him a thoroughbred. He's been out to stud for a long time. Um, So I'm just going to give you this. I'm going to build this up a little bit. this gentleman has not made the cut in the U.S. Open since 2012. Uh, the previous two times, it was held at Carnoustie in 2007 and 1999. He had a did not start and missed the cut. His results this year, very feast or famine. So this gentleman plays on multiple tours. I'm just going to rip off his results so far in 2018. Missed cut, tied for 39, eighth place, tied for 71st, tied for 50th, tied for 65th, tied for 5th. Cut, withdraw, 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 tied for seventh, and a missed cut. Nick, my I'm dark horse. Off all his ex-wives now. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't guessed it, my dark horse for the 2018 British Open Championship is none other than 1995 British Open champion John Daly. I love that pick so I, much. You know, <laughs> a lot of it has to do with the fact that you recommended this wonderful podcast to me called Crime and Sports, where they do a two-and-a-half-hour deep dive on John Daly's life. Highly recommend. But I thought about it. He actually won on the Champions Tour last year, and I know I've seen his name pop up on leaderboards. So he's either finished tied for 39th or worse, or he's made a top 10. I'm... I'm hoping that John can squeeze out a round or two, not withdraw. Basically, if John Daly does not withdraw from this tournament, I consider that a victory for him and all of us. Yeah. Um, my, my chances, I'd probably bet $10 million right now that he does not play the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the pick, Joe. Yeah, I love the pick. thank you. Thank you. Um, okay. My contender, Bubba Watson, Oof. who is his really I, I took a look at some of his numbers and stats the other day um maybe it's sneaky maybe it's not but he's having a really good season right now he is i know we, nobody cares but he's number three in the fedex cup standings he's up to number 12 in the world wow. and he has three wins this season um he's playing green as we speak of course where um a tournament he's won before in the past i believe um he's a two-time major champion he's got those two masters and uh I think he can do it. Uh, he can, you know, the British Open, you can kind of spray the ball a little bit and you maybe play off the neighboring fairway. And um, we know he can hit the ball a long way. I think Bubba could be in contention. You think You think Bubba's got the patience for a, uh, a British Open? We'll find out. But we, yeah, we I wouldn't will be find out if he's in, in the thick of things. No, I like that pick. He's had a really good season so far. Um, and there's no reason he can't contend because – I think you see a lot of Masters winners also do well at the British Open because you're right. Depending on the course, um, you really you really can miss some of the fairways. I just think it's a matter of Bubba staying patient, taking his medicine, and uh, just trying to rip off a bunch of birdies and seeing what happens. So I like that pick, Nick. Um, my contender is I I'm I'm pretty sure his name probably comes up more consistently than any other golfer when we pick for majors. 
He finished tied for 20th in the U.S. Open despite a third-round 84. That's an 84, Ricky Fowler. Um, he has finished in the top five before the British Open. Look, he's the best player in the world, never to win a major. Um, I just think that whenever there's a major championship and he's healthy, that he has a chance to win. He finished second in the Masters, birdied the 72nd hole. He's got the Kiones to win a major. It just hasn't broken correctly for him. And who knows? It could be the British Open in Carnoustie. He's won in Europe before, so he's comfortable doing that. He's a good international player in addition to being very strong in the States. Ricky Fowler, my contender to win the, the British Open. That's a good pick, and uh, you're right. We, we always pick Ricky because we're just waiting for him to win a major. Um, it, we both know it's going to happen. It like is. Phil, I, what did Phil go, seven or eight years before he won his first major? Phil went like um, 13 years. Was it, th- was it that many? Yeah. yeah. So, God, I lost track. <laughs> <laughs> um, not only is he the best player without a major, but he's the seventh best player, period. He's number seven in the world right now. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's going to happen. Um. My winner, Joe. We're just gonna we're just gonna move. I don't even think I need to say why this guy is gonna win. He's he's already got a major. He's going to be a multiple major champion. Uh, I think he's gonna have several majors. His name is Justin Thomas. Yeah, he's always a really good pick. <laughs> he is. I mean, there's he's just yeah. What's the argument against Justin Thomas? Just because there's so many really good players playing really well right now. I mean, he just. If Justin Thomas went out and won the British Open by five shots, zero people would be surprised. Exactly. I think it's a really good pick. Unfortunately, Justin Thomas is not going to win the British Open because... Don't tell me he's not in the field. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think my pick is really... I'm surprised he's not the betting favorite, um, considering his recent record, but considering a bunch of things. Uh, the 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 only concern I have for this pick is that it seems... A little too obvious, like a little too on the nose. Uh, <laughs> Tommy Tommy Fleetwood. So Fleetwood is finishing the top five in the U.S. Open the last two times it was contested. Of course, he had that putt on the 72nd hole to shoot a 62. He missed it, shot a 63, lost the Open to Brooks Kepka by one shot. Uh, he's Tommy Fleetwood's one of the most consistent international players that we have right now. He's certainly right there with Justin Rose as being the best European player in the world consistently. And I did not realize this until I started doing some research, Nick. Tommy Fleetwood is the course record holder at Carnoustie, the venue for the British Open. He shot a 63 there, and uh, even though he did not compete in the most recent British Open at Carnoustie in 2007, man's only 27 years old. He has the course record there. So Tommy Fleetwood currently at 20 to one to win the British Open, which I was a little surprised that he wasn't higher up there, considering his strong finish in the U.S. Open and being one of the best Euros in the world. That is my pick. So quickly to recap, interesting pick. Thank you. Quickly to recap, my dark horse, John Daly. John Daly, my contender, Ricky Fowler, my winner, Tommy Fleetwood. Nick, what are your three again? Um, I had Joaquin Neiman for usual uh, <laughs> as my dark horse, Bubba Watson as my contender, and Justin Thomas as my winner. Well, there you go. At the turn, uh, trying to keep the Grand Slam dreams alive. We did pick the winners, Patrick Reed and Brooks Kepka for the first two majors. Looking so at the end of the, the, third leg. the PGA, we should we should tally him up and uh, and keep score with our predictions. Okay, and see who did better. Yeah. Can yeah. I, can I, okay. like, it, like you get a point for every place they finished. Oh, right? sure. The lowest score. So like if I picked a guy and finished number one, like Patrick Reed always does, you know, that's one point and then yeah. the lowest score wins. You know, you know, what we could do is just take the amount of FedEx Cup, FedEx Cup points you <laughs> that the players <laughs> win and add them up at the end of the season. Um, so if we're actually going to keep track of all three of these picks, is it too late to change John Daly? <laughs> <laughs> no, because I got I had Joaquin Neiman in a field that he wasn't okay. in. Okay, so, uh, that's fair. Uh, you know. <laughs> um, so let's let's shift gears away from the British Open to um, at the turn's favorite punching bag. Actually, I do like this guy a lot, but it's just fun to make fun of him. Bryson DeChambeau. So, Nick, there was um, some measure of controversy. Can you exp- – I'm, I'm not really up on this. Can you take this one? Yeah. I'm going to try to make this brief, and it's – I have like five pages of notes in front of you me. You do. So we'll see how this goes. 
Um, Bryson DeChambeau versus the USGA slash PGA round two. So I'm sure our educated listeners recall in early 2017, there was an issue. Bryson, for a brief time, was going to like do side saddle putting. He was putting side saddle, and um, they did not like that. The USGA, PGA did not like that. I forgot so about that. Jeez. Do you remember now, though, right? I do remember now that you mentioned it. He had a putter that was shafted right in the center of the putter head uh, to, to do this. And they said, uh, I don't know, I think it was the USGA came back and said, uh, no, that's, that is an illegal club. You can't do that. Um, and I have a quote from, from Bryson after, after that incident, before I get into this incident. In 2017, after they banned his putter, he said, I was very disappointed with the way the USGA handled it. They've said to me that they don't like the way I'm doing it, but it's within the rules, and I don't know why they don't like it. They say I'm potentially taking skill out of the game. Anything that helps shoot lower scores or makes golf more fun and grows the game, that's what I'm all about. So DeChambeau, he's the scientist. He's always, like you said before, he's the guy like using all the analytics to figure out how he can shoot better scores. Uh, he just does things unconventionally. He just thinks, that, thinks about things way outside the box and then brings them to the golf course. So this week, um, Bryson was seen using a, a protractor compass on the golf course. Like, not a compass like which way is north, but a compass like you use in 10th grade geometry where you, like, stick a pencil in one side and, like, turn it around. You know what I'm talking about? Like a pivot what was point he, thing. What was he doing with it? He said he was using it to get precise pin locations because sometimes the ones the tour gives him are a little bit <laughs> off. Which seems ludicrous. Like, it, like it, how far was it? Six inches off? Was it? Was it two yards off? You know what I mean? Like, how far off was it? And like, how precise are you hitting? You know what I mean? Like, and also I, the guy who uses all the advanced analytics, and there are literally commercials of him like in the Windows Surface laboratory using all his technology, and homie pulls out a compass. <laughs> I know. I know. That's isn't that funny? Um, so the USGA came out and said bryson uh we stopped doing things that that people don't normally do on golf courses and their statement says and i read and i quote (laughs) at the request of the pga tour so the pga tour is 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 calling up the usga saying hey stop this guy from bringing his compass out there uh the usga and the rna reviewed bryson dechambeau's stated use of a drawing compass to assist him in determining true hole locations and jointly determined that this specific usage would be in breach of Rule 14-3 if used in a future round. The rule prohibits a player during a stipulated round from using any artificial device or unusual equipment or using any equipment in an abnormal manner that might assist him in making a stroke or in his play. I love that rule. They're they're saying this is a weird device. It's not related (laughs) to golf. You can't use it. Well, Um, and what's great about that rule, Nick, is they can – Say anything that they don't like, they can qualify as an artificial device. Look, this is unusual and abnormal. We don't want this out here. That could mean almost anything. So it could be anything other than anything other than a golf club, basically. <laughs> so I posted the, the question on Twitter. We we kind of like like you said, our favorite punching bag, but stuff like this that makes me want to come to his defense. Because even though I'm not gonna bring a compass and a protractor and a straight edge out to the golf course. It doesn't bother me if he does. I, I want to encourage him, you know, thinking outside the box and being different and doing whatever he wants to do. So, like, even though he is kind of geeky and kind of, you know, a try hard and whatever, I'm all for him. Do do your thing. So I put I put the que- question on Twitter and I got a response from Soren, one of our first guests, Fairways and Freeways, at FNF2017. And he said, I agree with the USGA and PGA Tour on this. This is especially true given how they approached it and the respectful nature of their comments. P.S. If he wants to confirm pin locations, he should use a mobile phone app like the rest of us. So, I don't know. Where do you fall on this, Joe? I personally say let Bryson be Bryson. Well, I think you need to take it on a case-by-case basis. I I personally think that this is dumb uh, on the PGA's part. Because, look, this guy is using technology from, like, the 1600s to try to aid him in golf. It's not like he's using some sort of new crazy technology that is going to make everything unfair. He's using a freaking compass. And right. also, uh if if the PGA Tour and USGA and RNA are concerned about Bryson DeChambeau using things um that are abnormal or unusual, 
Well, buckle up, because Bryson has won two PGA Tour events now, and he's a likely Ryder Cup member, so he's not going away anytime soon. The more success he has doing things his way, the more emboldened he is going to feel to continue down that path and ratchet it up and how much more crazy or unconventional can I get? And I think that's a really good perspective to have because if he was behaving like everybody else, he wouldn't have been the NCAA individual champion or a two-time PGA Tour winner. The guy's doing things his own way. He's trying to do things within the confines of the rules. And the idea that a drawing compass is something that is illegal or unusual to me is insane. Let the guy have his fun. He brings attention to the sport in a positive way. He's not trying to um, demean the sport. The side saddle putting stroke, granted, it's silly, but Sam Snead, who's one of the five greatest golfers of all time, also tried to use the side saddle during his career, so it's not unprecedented or like he invented a stroke. I say, like you, let Bryson be Bryson. And... Just one final word. Like, I think Bryson looks dumb doing stuff like the side saddle and bringing a compass to the golf course. But if you're the USGA and the PGA Tour, you look even dumber for, like, overreacting to it. You know what I mean? Like, it's like when you get in a fight with a three-year-old and you're screaming at a three-year-old. I mean, not that I would do that or you would do that, but it's like there's no need. Just, like, let them do their thing and, like, be the bigger man. If you think it's dumb, then just ignore it. You know what I mean? But these organizations look even dumber for reacting to it and and banning it and and basically pushing him to a corner so that makes me want to take his side so eh, anyways <laughs> that's how i feel i 100 percent. that's our bryson talk for the week <laughs> <laughs> um so last thing nick uh i saw a very clickbaity article on twitter it was uh, why millennials aren't joining country clubs and I said, okay, I'll I'll take this for a spin. So I'm, I'm not going to break down the article, um, but basically the crux of it is um, these are becoming antiquated institutions. Um, they revolve around golf, and millennials are workaholics, and they're more concerned about work than joining a country club. So that was the crux of the article. But it led me to what I think was a sort of interesting would you rather because we are both fringe millennials um, we're, we're on the edge of being millennials. Technically, we're probably classified that way. So the would you rather this week, I'll have you start. Would you rather belong to a country club free of charge, full privileges, no fees, but you belong to a country club, or you get to play Augusta National once every five years on your own dime? Okay. So I just need, to, I just need a little bit of clarification on this before I can answer the question. Sure. Uh, when you say belong to a country club, yeah. are we talking like a country club that's like private yep. and and nose in the air and very sophisticated and all their rules? Are we talking about the University of Idaho golf course? No. Country club, rules, probably, you know, long pants, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. the most mm-hmm. stereotypical country club you can think of, that's what you belong to, but for free. Um yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna play Augusta and I'm gonna let um I'm going to let the, the, I don't have a nice word for them. I'm going to let the people that I don't want to be around be at the country <laughs> club. And um, I'm going to go play Augusta once every five years. Yeah, look, it's it's not to say that uh, everyone who belongs to a country club is, you know, a bad person or wants to be um, in their own little isolated bubble of country club life. Like, look, there are obviously inherent benefits to being part of a country club. Uh, you're, you're part of a community, you get a nice golf course, but there are certain stereotypes that are probably more true than not, and obviously people our age don't want to be a part of that because we'd rather go out and play munis and, and mix it up and meet new people. And look, if even if you get free golf, all the all the garbage that comes with belonging to a country club, I'm not really interested in. And if I can play Augusta once every five years, you better believe I'm going to do that. Yeah. Um I just, it's funny, this is a good word to rather. I, I took my wife golfing this morning. We went and played nine holes at a, at a club. It's not even a country club, but it's a, you know, it's a, a course that's public, but it was, they thought they were a country club. Because um, <laughs> we walked up and I reserved a tee time online. We were going to walk nine holes and um, they charged a ridiculous rate, first mm. of all, for us to walk nine holes. Anyways, that's beside the point. He said, he's like, oh, are you guys members? So it was not friendly at all. I asked if we're members. I said, no. He said, well, non-members can't walk. Non-members have to ride. And then, what? you know, it's this course where, like, 
the the they where they cart the signs where they shove the carts off to the path are like 75 yards from the green every hole you know they think it's like too nice to drive the car up to the green and it, you know it, it was in fine shape because we got some rain yesterday but it was not augusta um it was just not friendly it just didn't feel like we just did not feel welcomed at all and um i wouldn't want to belong a place like that i want to be a I, I like being a member at a golf course where you know i pay for my annual pass and the people will get to know you and they're friendly and you play with the same guys every once in a while i don't mind playing the same course but like the country club the the sense of entitlement you know uh i i can leave that stuff i don't care for it man it sounds like you've really had a tough time <laughs> playing <laughs> golf in massachusetts the course i'm at the course i, I i'm a member at um is great you know they they i'm a weekday member so today i, I couldn't play i couldn't play there sure um so i, I figured i'd just play a different course in the area since i was gonna be paying anyways um so i, I i'm real happy with the course i'm at but yeah this other course uh not so much and you make it important not, just not friendly you made an important distinction nick that having a membership to a golf course and belonging to a country club are two totally different things like, we mm -hmm. both had passes to the University of Idaho golf course when we lived there over the summer, and we paid a flat rate, and we could go out and play as much as we wanted. You could play, you know, 21 holes or whatever, um, and you would still get a lot of random people that would come in, but also your friends and your golf league and your community. With Country Club, you're just getting the same people over and over and over again, and I just think that exclusivity uh, is not attractive to to young people anymore. I just, I, I just don't think that... You're going to have very many country clubs beyond the super, super old, super, super rich ones, probably mostly in the South, um, that are going to continue to thrive the way that they have in the – had, rather, in the 20th century. I, I, I just don't think it's an institution that is going to continue in the, uh, the same way that it had. Yeah, we'll see um, what changes they make to drive membership up because, um, you know, those places are going are gonna to have a lot of uh, – a, a lot of voids to fill, you know, as, as uh, you know, the younger generation is the one who's working and has, has the money to spend and they're choosing not to spend it there. So uh, I, and there's, there's obviously a lot of discounted rates for like people in their thirties, people under 30, but they're still pretty pricey. And if, if, if people our age aren't interested in that lifestyle, then there's going to have to be some changes I would imagine. That's exactly right. Well, Nick, uh, I think we should probably wrap things up there. We're approaching the 50-minute mark. I think this is a, uh, a personal record for us on At The Turn. So good on you, all your good Bryson information. Um, thank you all very much for joining us on At The Turn. As Nick mentioned, please rate, review, subscribe for whatever podcast app you use. A lot of iTunes folks out there. Come on, Stitcher. I'm still with Stitcher. <laughs> the future. The future of podcasting. It's not now, but it's coming. Um, thank you again all to listening. Um, Nick, any, any final thoughts? No, that's it. <laughs> all right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks. <laughs>